and welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media. Since we're all getting ready for the Super Bowl, we wanted to talk football today, and our guest is Mike Tannenbaum. Mike started working in the NFL as an intern with the Saints back in 1994. He worked his way up with the Browns, Saints, and Jets, eventually becoming the Jets' GM in 2006, then the Dolphins' Executive Vice President of Football Operations in 2015. He is now the founder of The 33rd Team, a football think tank that he'll tell us more about. Mike and I will also talk about the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, how he watches an NFL game using analytics at the 33rd team, including their comprehensive passing metric, how data has evolved in the NFL over the last three decades, using data for draft and scouting purposes, how analytics and decision-making factor into the interview process for coaches, using data as an ESPN analyst, communicating data effectively, advice for anyone looking to break into the football analytics field, and perhaps more importantly, appearing on an episode of CSI New York. Then producer Sergio De La Esprilla will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the Expected Value Conversation with Mike Tannenbaum. We're joined now on Expected Value by Mike Tannenbaum, founder of the 33rd Team and former GM of the Jets, executive vice president of the Dolphins. Mike, welcome to the show. Let's start just by talking a little bit of football from the weekend. Rams, Bengals, advance to the Super Bowl. What stood out to you from the title games? Uh, well, we could go over both of them. I would say starting with uh, the Chiefs and the Bengals, uh, very surprised that at, there was about five minutes and nine seconds to go in the second quarter. And after that, Kansas City scored three points. You know, give yeah. um, Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator of the Bengals, a ton of credit guys. You know, in the second half, they dropped eight. They placed a man. They changed up their looks. And uh, they really held up on the back end. Mike Hilton, Chidobe Oozie, and Eli Apple did a great job. Yeah. And then on the NFC side, Rams come back to beat the 49ers after trailing by 10 in the fourth. Anything jump out to you there? Sure. I would say, you know, a, a couple of things. Um, the Rams really won this game up front. They dominate both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I think over the last three drives, I want to say that uh, the 49ers had about 28 yards. Mm -hmm. And the thing that surprised me was Debo Samuel. It was about there was about 12 minutes to go in the game was the last time he touched the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now we're looking ahead to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56, if I can read my numerals correctly. Uh, off the top of your head, you know, what, what's intriguing you about this matchup at first glance? You know, what's so interesting to me is on paper, you know, it's the Rams, you know, they're at home, they got the better defense, but maybe this is the year there's just something, you know, really compelling about Joe Burrow that's going to be hard to, you know, go against. And uh, yeah. maybe this is uh, their year. Yeah, it might be. I'm curious how, as a former GM and executive, how you typically watch games. And I mean, not you know what your setup is like necessarily, but how do your wheels turn as you know you watch something like Sunday's game, for example? You sit in, you're you're focused in. What are, what's the kind of going through your mind? What's your how do you process what you're watching? You know, I really like matchups. You know, because mm -hmm. that's kind of like the way um, we would attack games. Like, what are our strengths? What are our opponent weaknesses? Um, those were always like super important to us. So uh, likewise, now in this situation, like where I'm doing like analysis for, you know, either ESPN or the 33rd team or whatever it may be, like we're always looking for like going into the game, like what are the matchups we like? What are the ones that we think teams will struggle with? And then, you know, afterwards doing the autopsies, like, you know, what surprised us? 
So that kind of goes to what you said, like Debo didn't touch the ball the latter half of the game. You're kind of keeping an eye on him because that's one of the key matchups that everyone was looking toward how the Rams are going to slow him over the middle, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, you know, one of, one of the things that's so interesting to me is, um, you know, like I, we, we have these conversations a lot and, you know, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, Paul, but if you and I owned a team and we could start our franchise, who would you take Cooper cup or Debo Samuel? Oh boy. I'm personally, I just off the top of my head, at least I'm inclined to take Debo because he can do more. And, you know, we've seen glimpses of this the last year or two, and it really kind of came to the front the four now uh cooper cup i'm not saying he's not a great player because he was this season came out of nowhere a little bit more so i, I don't know if Debo has more of a track record um i guess i like the flexibility and the options of doing different things with him at, at first glance what do you think yeah Mark? i think the point, i think the point is you could make compelling arguments for both and that's yeah. what makes it you know and that's why like some of the things i think about um i think at one point during the game i tweeted uh cooper cup one Debo samuel one and that's a little <laughs> bit of um I thought how the game went guys, like just from a standpoint of like cups, a great blocker, obviously a great route runner. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like, to me, like Debo, you know, greatness is about like, you know, what's coming and you still can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about what you're doing now with the 33rd team. I guess first, just give us the the summary. What is the 33rd team? And generally speaking, what does the company do? Yeah, we're a think tank. um, And we basically, there's a, pretty big gap in the marketplace between former coaches and players that uh, really coaches, players and and GMs that still want to either coach or work in the front office or players that want to get into it. Mm -hmm. And then students that are trying to get in the industry that have the bandwidth to help. And we put those two groups of people together and we make really good music. If you go to our website, the 33rd team.com, we try to bring people behind the scenes. So recently Bill Pullian wrote an article of why he hired Tony Dungy or John Fox wrote about why he likes to coach. Um, and then we have a lot of students that try to bring, come up with, you know, differentiated sort of analytics. And I know we'll get to it, but, you know, mm-hmm. we came up with like, you know, our own passing metrics called the CPM comprehensive passing metric. Yeah. And really like, we're trying to take like a fresh look at some of like data and sort of like, you know, maybe a fresh look at some of the things in football. Yeah, I think that comprehensive passing metric, to me at least, jumped out as one of the more unique things that were on the in the analytics section of the site. What are the ideas behind that and how it was put together? You know, and I think like if we're having this conversation in five years, I think the conversation will continue. I thought ESPN did a really good job sort of like looking at their, you know, you had the traditional pass rating, now the QBR. And really what we were trying to do is see if we could normalize things like, you know, fourth down conversion rate, total conversion rate, passes of 20 yards per drop back um, and try to bring out like the most meaningful things like how many times were they sacked? and then completion percentage over expected. So we just try to bring in some fresh new metrics and bring some fresh ideas to, you know, a very old sort of conversation, which is, and I've done this for a living, you know, assessing quarterback play. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Is something like that metric, is that typical? Like, would you say most front offices have similar sorts of metrics or at least methods to evaluate quarterbacks? Yeah, we tried everything. And I think the conversation will continue. And it's interesting if we had coach Parcells on this conversation, he was always about every 10 starts, a quarterback would get better. So the 30 star quarterback was better than the 20 star quarterback. 
that's obviously different now, the way the games play, the transfer portal. So it's um, it's it's very different. And I think that's why these metrics will continue to evolve. But I think trying to normalize, you know, like not every yard is the same. Like, I think there's a great conversation around that, you know, a third and one completion that goes for two yards is a way better play than a two yard completion right. on first down. And the more you can normalize those things, I think the more informed of a discussion you can have. So you mentioned coach Barcells and you've been involved with the NFL for you know 25 plus years. I want to go back to when you started in the mid nineties, just kind of for perspective, how was data being used back then by front offices, uh, traditional stats, otherwise, whatever you had your hands on, how was data being used when you got started in NFL in the front offices with teams? Yeah, I would say um, the, the people that influenced my career early on, Coach Pelichek, Coach Parcells, they were into data. They were trying to get the decisions right. It was really probably more so even around like the salary cap and mm -hmm. running the Jets, running the Dolphins. Really what I always try to use data for was just to de define the discussion. And what I mean by that is if we're going to draft a receiver that's you know slower or smaller than the requisite sort of like objective – physical right. characteristics for that position that's okay but let's make sure that we just understand that we're doing that so to me it was never about hey we're going to make a decision based on the numbers or the data but let it help create the right context for the discussion you're right so and how does it fit in with the team what can you you know if you have this kind of player you got to change this or something like that those kinds of things just to try to yeah fit it into your team not necessarily the individual itself that sort of thing yeah, no, but but also like, you know, take a guy like Wes Welker. Wes Welker yeah. was short. He was slow, but he had incredible change of direction, incredible three cone short shuttle. And obviously went on and had a really productive career. Um, you know, guys could have deficiencies in certain areas of their game and still be really, really productive. So it's just knowing like where their deficiencies are and mm -hmm. why we think that they can overcome it. So what, how did data analytics, how did all that evolve during your career? Obviously we're at a very different spot now than 25 years ago or so. How did that kind of creep grow as uh, you progress through the league? Oh, I think it's continuing to, you know, like I think um, tracking devices and I think the Rams more so than any team have really been out in front of like, you know, taking the information of the combine and sort of like de-emphasizing it because mm -hmm. um, how players play in the game is way more important than, you know, how fast they are, you know, at the combine. Yeah, you, you mentioned, speaking of the combine, you're down in, in mobile at the Senior Bowl. Uh, what sort of data is gathered there at the combine? How, I guess, how was all that data processed? So the Rams are de-emphasizing it. Uh, what other sort of data metrics are teams looking at as they try to decide, you know, who they're taking in the draft, who to sign as free agents, that sort of thing? Yeah. So again, the, the tracking devices are helpful in like, again, like play speed. Um, and then you could actually do it when you're with a team, you want to use it. We, we try to do uh, predictive analytics around like soft tissue injuries when mm -hmm. guys are in a higher risk um, for, for injury. So um, those are really like the primary ways it's used now um, in terms of collecting da data. And I think, you know, for players and, you know, it's certainly not a one size fits all approach, but, players really are much more mindful of what they're putting to their body, making more informed decisions. And I think players like to know, like, you know, what their load was, how much did they exert? And you could really design practices to be much more efficient. And what I mean by that is this, if we were with a team, we saw that a wide receiver had a much higher 
um, sort of like possibility of a soft tissue injury. And we wanted to reduce their load for practice. So instead of having, let's say, their normal 20 reps, we want to have, let's say, eight. We would sit there and say, like, what are the eight most important reps? So, you know, earlier we talked about Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel. Let's make sure those are eight reps that they need to be at at practice. So if they're on the backside of a play, if it's a run play, let, let's try to keep them out so we could make it the most effective practice possible. You've mentioned the tracking data, you know, players have chips in the pads during games and such like that. Something has really come up in the last five years or so. I think teams are still figuring out, but from what you understand, how have you seen teams using it? What are the possibilities with this new NGS data? Yep. Um, I, I think it's going to be used on a whole number of levels. Again, it's going to be player safety. I think it's also going to be, you know, to help uh, teams figure out like, you know, which which players could be, you know, wearing down, um, where injuries could occur, um, and also like which players play, what's their play speed in games. I think that's, you know, the most important thing. Again, way more important than, you know, how did somebody do, you know, at an indie workout. Can you give us a sense of just generally speaking, what the analytics staffing setup kind of looks like at an NFL team? I know they're different where certain teams have more and you're never sure who's being listened to and, and used in different ways, but what does the staffing typically look like at an NFL team now, which I know is very different than even just a few years ago. Yeah, that's a great uh, question. Uh, I would say it's, it's the staffing is sort of like marrying this conversation. So analytics, sports performance, um, you know, I know at the Dolphins, for example, we had a gentleman who kind of oversaw strength and conditioning and being a trainer and sort of like the data, like where you could put all those things together. And I think that's where, you know, the EPL is, I think that's where more sports are going. So I think from a staffing standpoint, it's definitely marrying, you know, this conversation where, you know, the analytics department, the performance department, those things are going to continue to ramp up. So they're all kind of, yeah, that, that's interesting. I don't think of just, if you say football analytics, I don't think people generally will think of the, as the physical side, the strength and conditioning, and you mentioned the soft tissue injuries, things like that. That seems to be something that, I don't know, I guess maybe it's a little more difficult for me, for the public to kind of wrap their head around and see since they're not in the middle of it. But it sounds like from what you're saying, that's as important almost in some ways as the statistical side that people get so focused on. Yeah. I think it's all important. I think it's, again, you know, it's interesting if you actually sit in the seat of having made decisions. I think that's one of the things that would keep you up at night is like, you know, are you using the science or using the data are you using analytics or using the offensive line coaches, 20 years of experience, you know, like taking all those things into account is always going to, is certainly a challenge. Yeah. So you've done, you've hired head coaches, you've gone through that process and a lot of different levels. How do the analytics, maybe a coach's understanding or use of those, how does that factor into an interview process for a coach? Uh, well, I think it's a, it's a differentiator. You know, I think if we were running a team, we would want to hire somebody that, you know, I want to know your process of making a decision because there's going to be so many of them. Mm -hmm. um, I want to understand, like, take me, you know, under the hood, tell me how you're going to go make a decision. And you'd be surprised. That's a differentiator. Some would embrace it. Some would be, tell you that's a waste of time. And again, like we're all going to make mistakes. So I'm much more interested in the process of making the right decision. Right. So to know if they're open to pulling those things in or something like that, that, that makes sense. What about, uh, 
Yeah, go ahead. No, no, that, that's exactly right. To what extent is in-game strategy assessed in coach interviews? This is kind of a low-hanging fruit, I think, for you know, analytics, Twitter and such on the football side of he should have gone for it, should have kicked a field goal, uh, should have gone for two, things like that. To what extent do you see those sorts of decisions uh, assessed if, during the coaching process, during the interview process? Yep. Yeah, very similar answer there, which is, again, you know, it's – I think the people – like the smartest answers – are the ones that I'll say, like, I want to know the data. I want to know the analytics, but guess what? Like I, I'm not, you know, the kicker may have a, a hamstring pull or right. I thought, you know, John Harbaugh had a really good answer. Of like, why would you go for two? And you know, why would you go for two? Well, because you know, I have no healthy corners left. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's less about, they're not a coach isn't probably going to get drilled on what they would do in a specific situation as much as asked, how would you go about deciding what to do in this situation? Would that be accurate? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you also serve as an ESPN analyst talking NFL. That's what part of the reason you're in in mobile for the senior bowl. How do you use data when you're trying to figure out, all right, how are we going to assess this game on television, radio, whatever it might be? How do you use data in that role? Yeah, I wanted as much information as possible. So I wanted, like, you know, we'll, we'll sometimes get data afterwards. It, it's kind of hard to do, like, in real time at practice. But I, I want to know, like, what I'm watching on the film is, you know, I want to see where the data is to help me make a better decision uh, when we, you know, ultimately put a grade on a player. So you want as much data as possible. But while we're on the field, it, it, you don't have that data. And whether you're doing TV work, whether you're working with a team, uh, communicating that data is always important. It's something we always talk about here on the show. What are the keys from your perspective to communicate data effectively, whether it's you trying to be concise on television, whether it's someone on a team coming in and presenting uh, a case or a point or a strategy, what are the keys to communicating that data? Well, yeah, it, it, it's just uh, using it as context to so, say like, Hey, you know, I think Jahan Dotson looked good. I thought his play speed was great. And, you know, the GPS data said like he was the second fastest receiver. Right. So presenting your point, backing it up and not necessarily getting deep in the weeds, but giving at least a general understanding of what this, the case is here. Exactly. You mentioned uh, interns key part of the 33rd team. You've placed a lot of them with NFL teams, the league front office, so what's your general advice for a student or anyone who's analytically minded and wants to break into football analytics, break in with an NFL team? I think it's um, be the first one in the last leave and create value and, and, you know, be a great listener and try to answer questions and research it. And there's, there's so many, I mean, obviously there's tons, dozens and dozens of candidates that apply for a lot of these jobs with teams or the league. Anything particularly important to help stand out? Not need to say something in particular, but just kind of ways that people can think about as they or things they can think about as they prep for an interview like that. Um, I think it's being prepared and and not asking questions they could research. Like knowing the background of somebody is super important. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, know who you're talking to. Okay, so we'd like to wrap things up here with our playing favorite segment, where we rip through a number of your favorites to get your answers on those so let me start with what is your favorite number and why 33 i was big larry bird fan growing up and uh 33 and 14 14 is my birth date and uh uh, those are two of my favorite numbers paul all right so you may have answered this one already but your favorite player when you were a kid any sport larry bird yeah he was a guy i looked up to growing up in the boston area anybody on the football side 
Curtis Martin, you know, same guy every week and a great player, better person. Nice. Uh, Favorite game or a favorite game, at least that you've attended in person. Ooh, uh, championship games that we were in against Denver, Pittsburgh and Indianapolis. Nice. Yeah. It's hard to beat those, I suppose. Uh, Favorite part about appearing in an episode of CSI New York a few years ago. Getting coached by Gary Sinise, I had four words and I kept screwing it up. And Gary Sinise was coaching me like I was a undrafted free agent rookie, and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you got to, to see it from the other side a little bit, huh? Uh, exactly. And finally, do you have a favorite "How did I get here?" moment? By which I mean, you know, one of those moments where you're just kind of like, "All right, not not that I've arrived, but this is a cool spot where I've gotten to uh, in my career, and you're able to soak it all in." Yeah, first day on the job as a GM, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, when does the adult show up? You know, like definitely, <laughs> like, like, do I belong? deserve to be here yeah you're the one who has to make the decisions now so all right well mike tannenbaum founder of the 33rd team former gm of the jets evp of the dolphins uh thanks for joining us here on expected value okay thanks so much guys Thanks again to Mike Tannenbaum for joining us on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Real Tannenbaum, R-E-A-L-T-A-N-N-E-N-B-A-U-M, and at the 33rd team, T-H-E-3-3-R-D team. You can check out their website, the33rdteam.com. We'll also have all these links in our show notes, including a link to his appearance on CSI New York. I'm joined now by True Media's Sergio De La Esprilla. Sergio, what did you take away from the conversation with Mike? Uh, hey, Paul, um, I liked it a lot. I thought it was um, very intriguing. I think one of the one of the more interesting aspects of the conversation, to me at least, was when you asked about, you know, the kind of uh, low-hanging fruit Twitter takes when a coach analytically maybe does something that the quote-unquote analytics community would uh, disagree with. Uh, it, it is very intriguing to see his perspective on that because at least from someone who, you know, started off as a fan of sports and now works in sports data and kind of sees, you know, has a bit more understanding of it. I'm very, I'm always interested in seeing like, okay, yes, maybe it was technically a better decision to go for it rather than maybe kick a field goal. Um, But, you know, is the percentage going for it gives you 60% to win versus field goal gives you 40% to win? Or is it going for it gives you 55% to win and kicking the field goal gives you 53% to win? You know, it's kind of those... Well, coach's perspective, how much a coach goes into it. So it was interesting to see it from his um, more front office perspective um, when creating and crafting a team and also seeing how he values matchups and how he watches football. Um, it was interesting to see how a general manager watches a game or, a, you know, an executive vice president of football ops versus a fan and now someone who, you know, is is working and interested in analytics versus, you know, a front office person. Yep. Yeah. I, I like the probabilities that you see on on Twitter and such and that the various models spit out. And I think any good analyst or someone who's producing a model to spit out those numbers, anyone will say this is not a black and white thing necessarily. Now, like you said, there are some, if it's a 60-40 split, you're not going to find any, you know, extenuating circumstances that are going to swing that. But if it is a percentage point or two, yeah, that's where, like Mike said, Harbaugh said that, you know, his secondary was beat up or you know, your defense is exhausted or you think you have the perfect short yardage play to get it or, you know, something Mike Sando always points out, maybe they used all their short yardage plays, which, you know, that may be a separate issue. But yeah, any, I think any good analyst will know that this is not a black and white thing. It's a piece of the puzzle. You know, it's kind of a, it's almost a starting point. And from there you can think, oh, well, we definitely have the right play. So that's enough to overcome a two point difference in 
going or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, it's, it's a good point that there's always more stuff than we know. And I'm not a football coach. You're not a football coach. I, you know, I can even, we list off a few things that go into it. There's you know, lots of other things that I'm sure are you know, way above our football comprehension that people consider there. Yeah. Those, those types of people have forgotten more about football than we'll ever know. So it's, it's one of those, I always default to those who, who know more than me in that right. sense. Yeah. I always, you know, if it's a small thing, I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess they know what they're doing. I'd like to think they do most of the time, but you know, then they fail and I'll yell at the TV just like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> I was interested by how Mike kind of emphasized the sports science aspect, you know, how to prevent soft tissue injuries. Who's prone to this? Who's prone to that? Because things like, you know, fourth down attempts, whatever it is, those are, again, very low hanging fruit that are pretty easy to quantify and, al and almost solve to a point. Things like sports science, at least publicly, to my knowledge, very fuzzy, you know, not that the science is fuzzy, just that the information isn't out there. It's much harder to be an expert in a field like that, I think. Um, so uh, that was interesting to me because it's a, it's something that you just don't see a lot of publicly, uh, how to prevent injuries. And a lot of it is you don't, you don't have the data. We don't know all the practice details. We don't have uh, the NGS data is not a public thing, stuff like that. So. And, and honestly, for, for something like sports science or any kind of doctor thing, if your degree takes six or seven years to get, I, I don't want it to be able to be readily available in that sense. I don't want people on Twitter to be saying, oh, no, that's definitely a, a sprain versus a tear. It's like, well, I'm not a doctor. So I don't. Sergio, there's a lot of people on Twitter with medical degrees. Just ask as, them, right? as I've been informed, as I've been informed. <laughs> I also like, real quick before we sign off, um, I love the fact that he was personally coached by Lieutenant Dan to perform because <laughs> yes. as someone who holds a degree in theater and was an actor before he yeah. jumped into data um yeah that was really cool to hear i have to go back and 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 watch that episode that that he was on because now now knowing that lieutenant dan um as forrest comes one of my favorite movies that's one of my favorite characters period mm -hmm. Um, that's pretty cool. That was just there another selfish, yeah. like, wow, that's awesome. I, I had a couple Forrest Gump jokes in the holster that I couldn't quite, <laughs> didn't quite come out right. So I decided we're just, we're not going to try that. Don't fail miserably. So, all right. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks one more time to Mike Tannenbaum for joining us on the show. Check out the archives for lots more football conversation with Mike Sando, Aaron Schatz, Eric Eager, much more over the last year or two. We talk lots of other sports too, including baseball just last month with Arizona head coach Chip Hale. While you're there, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We always appreciate that. Please share this show on Twitter, other social media, and you can follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports or follow me at Paul Carr. On behalf of Sergio De La Espria and everyone here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world.